0: Hello, it's Andrew Harrison here. Big thanks to everybody who came to our Christmas show at 21 Soho in London on Monday the 12th or who zoomed in to watch it. It was a fantastic evening. And here's part one, where Dorian and the panel look back at 2022 and the ongoing collapse of the Conservative Party and the year in Keir. Plus, there's a Christmas party game that we're calling Peer and Loathing. Part two comes out tomorrow. Enjoy part one.
1: Um, so, hello, welcome everyone to 21 Soho, a very lovely venue um, for a very Oh God, What Now Christmas. I'm Dorian Linsky, it's been a bumper year for the podcast. Uh, we've been able to add tofu-eating wokarati and the anti-growth coalition to our traditional alliance of uh, bleeding heart centrists and anti-British Ramoners. Um, we feed on their hate. Tonight we'll be looking back on a year in the death of the Conservative Party from the defense... <laughs> From the defenestration of Boris Johnson, to the brief reign of Mad Queen Liz, to the damp rise of Rishi Sunak. Is the natural party of government heading for the dumper? Plus, the year in Keir. Is the most likely next Prime Minister too careful for his own good and ours? Then in part two, we'll be looking at the main characters of 2022 and how they lit up our year or otherwise. Uh, Let's meet the panel have Naomi Taylor. So not Naomi Taylor, It's
0: Naomi Taylor? (laughs) She's married. Oh, Sorry, I just... Our love it. child. I, I know we've both got very common names, Naomi.
1: You have Naomi somebody. No, <laughs> Naomi... The Boudicca of Best for Britain. Yeah. Are you feeling fair? Fe- I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the I'm question is answered not. by your headwear. I mean, if, if,
2: if anyone was here last year, I was wearing a gold sequined jumpsuit. I nearly resurrected it this year, but then it was far too cold. So we got this instead. Sorry. That's my festive cheer for the year.
1: And beside her in Santa Red is Roz
0: Smith. (laughs) Um,
1: Roz Taylor, contributing editor of Podmasters and next year, the author of a book on the future of trust. Hi, Roz. Hello, Tori. How trustworthy is this crowd? Do you have oh. a, 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 a trustometer?
0: Yeah, I just have a feel for it now. I could just, you know, look at someone and think, yeah, you, I trust you or I don't trust you. No. You're incredibly trustworthy because you all listen to the podcast. So you know you you're all here, and I absolutely trust you. And it's it's great. I'm it's impressed. our little circle
2: of trust here.
0: <laughs> exactly, and I do Nothing actually. leaves this room. I do actually quote from Meet the Fockers in, in, the, in the in the in the book. <laughs> no no spoilers. And finally, there's Alex a
1: commentator who eats, drinks, and breathes politics every single day of the year, yet still remains winningly upbeat. Woo!
3: Well, thank you, thank you.
1: Because Alex is, is always going... Your
3: tip is in the jar.
1: <laughs> Alex is always going, did you see, uh, did you see so-and-so on Mar? And I was like, no, it's, it was on, it's on a Sunday. Well, Mar as was, you know, Kunzberg. Um, but there he is, um, washing amphetamines and following politics 24-7. <laughs> so, we will begin with some good news. Uh, the Conservative Party's ongoing death dive. thank you. Um, Was anybody here at the Christmas show three years ago in Leicester Square, right? Because the vibe then, politically, um, was not as good. (laughs) And and we really had to kind of laugh and cry through that one. It's actually three years to the day today Um, from Mm. the election, 12th of December. Yeah. That was pretty rough. So then we were thinking, oh, when will we ever be rid of the Tories and their impregnable 80-seat majority? And now, uh, not so much. Within 12 months, the party's gone through three prime ministers, five chancellors, three economic models, and seen off a monarch. (laughs) After all that freewheeling experimentation, the latest poll on Britain elects puts Labour 27 points ahead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Again, thank you. Um, Naomi... Now, the question is whether this is a temporary crisis or, or a death spiral. Um, politics nerds always talk, point to Canada's progressive Conservative Party in 1993, who just uh, completely imploded. According to one recent poll, only one in eight under-50s intends to vote Tory at the next election, which makes me officially a younger voter. <laughs> um, ha, have, have they killed... I mean, when you're looking at numbers like that, have they killed off their own future? At least, you know... For the foreseeable future?
2: I wish we could say that we were looking at the death rattle of the Conservative Party for good. I don't think we are. Um, We're going to come on to current polling in a bit, but they're certainly very, very wounded at the moment, and I think it's a temporary uh, death, if that. Is such a thing. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, c- freezing. Medical themselves. term? Well, <laughs> cryostasis or something, putting themselves into something. They can kind see the light. They freeze. can see yeah, the kind of white yeah, light. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can still bring them back. Um, I think a really huge moment was the, obviously the, the Trust quatang budget, because at that moment, it felt like um, a bit like the bleach moment for Trump. So, the USA was putting up with all sorts of misinformation and sort of tolerating the bullshit coming out of his mouth until he told them to inject themselves with bleach. And that was a bit of a tipping point, and they suddenly realized, oh, no, I don't really want to do that. And if I don't believe you on that, maybe I shouldn't be believing <laughs> yeah. you on the rest of it. And I but think. Did they
1: inject the economy with bleach?
2: I think they sort of did. And I think Brexit is such a synonymously Tory project that at that moment, oh, well, if you're going to do this thing that's going to cause my mortgage to go up by £1,000 a month um, and, you know, oversee the worst inflation for 40 years, then maybe you were wrong about some of the other stuff as well. And since that point, we've seen the the Brexit polling around, you know, regretting the decision, thinking it was a bad thing to do, shoot up and sort sort of say consistently up. In terms of the Canada analogy... I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I won't bore the audience because they'll have heard me say it, but the, what happened in Canada was that you had this uh, you know, right-wing guy who broke away, set up his own party, dragged everyone off to that party, and then managed to rejoin the, the true Conservative Party again once it had had to shift in line with his politics. And of course, that was what Farage was emulating with UKIP and later Brexit Party. So I don't think the threat for the Conservatives at the moment necessarily comes from the Liberal Democrats in the home counties. I think it's, it's a real mistake for Liberals and Liberal Democrats to think that sort of sensible, moderate-ish Conservatives are Liberals. They're not. They are definitely Conservatives. And I think under a Sunak um, leadership, they may stick uh, rather than switch. Um, but I think that the... the big risk for them remains on that right flank. And if Farage comes back, I don't think Tice is the man, but I think if Farage comes back into Reform UK in any big way, that's where the threat lies. Tice is not the man. (laughs) Not the man. (laughs) Um, Michelle
1: Moan is is currently on leave from her frantic legislative schedule in the House of Lords. (laughs) Um, So parliamentary scrutiny has really taken a, a hit there. She's like the latest scandal magnet. Is it the feeling of one scandal after another which some people might remember from uh, the 1990s, the real sign of a a doomed government? Because I wasn't surprised. I just thought, oh, right, OK, yes, there's there's another one, and then there will be another one after that. Mm. And that sort of sense of decay.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think my sort of overarching message to Labour is don't take anything for granted. Um, Lots of you will have seen that Savanta did a poll last week um, and they've got cons on 31, up 5, Labour on 42, down 5. So that big Labour lead having narrowed in that one particular poll. They've, they've narrowed in quite a few, but that was the sort of the, the starkest one. But if that's. Could we right,
1: stick to the, the earlier one that I mentioned, the, yeah. the really <laughs> Sorry. The, the fun yeah. one?
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so the Savanta
3: yeah. one is weird, by
1: the yeah, way, it's because
2: probably, it's the probably data an outlier. Is from
3: like 10 days ago. For, I don't know why they published it now, and there's been three polls since that show movement the opposite way.
2: Okay, so. but I've got some data, which is always good, so just, you know, <laughs> bear with, bear with. Um, but if that's the one's right, then Sunak's been adding about a point a week since he uh, got the keys to number 10. But Vessel own analysis of our MRP, which is not like these polls that I've just mentioned, which are, you know, 1,800 to 2,000 people, we do massive, massive polls, ten, twenty thousand 20,000 people, and then we do the MRP, which you've all heard me talk about. I won't talk about that again, but it's where you get the seat-level distribution. And what we found there that's very interesting is the don't-knows. They're high, and I don't like that because I think they're shy Conservatives that are just too embarrassed to admit that despite everything, come Election Day, they'll go back to the Conservatives. So we've drilled into those big time. Um, And we've really pushed them and said, but will you vote? And 88% of them say they will vote. Um, When we look at how they voted previously, when we look at their age profile, their um, educational attainment, all these kinds of indicators that give you a pretty good view of how they're going to vote, 75% of them map exactly onto the current conservative voter profile of the people that will admit it. So when you then rerun... (coughs) The MRP, and you, you, you've then got a much smaller Labour majority as things stand at the moment, sort of 30 seat majority rather than 100 seat majority, and that's at this point mid mid cycle. So as we get closer to an election, and inflation starts to come down next year, I mean it's predicted to start coming down dramatically in in Q3 next year. You could, you could see things changing. So Labour's lead is soft. It's but, incredibly soft. OK,
1: but I have to be like somebody on the Today programme, like a real grown-up journalist, and press you on the question. Do, you, do they talk about the, the, specifically the sense of sort of scandal and decay? Like, how much is that a feature?
2: No, that, that's baked in. It's baked in. And it's, but it's baked in for politicians. And there's very little in the, in the you know, public consciousness to differentiate one colour of politicians from that they're all in the make, they're all grubby, a plague on all their houses. What we're fucked off about is that we feel poorer.
1: Right. Um, Roz, Sunac was brought in to repair the damage caused by trust. Do you feel um, that that is, that is too little too late? That that's, that's so deep that just not being as aggressively shit is not perhaps, the special source that's required.
0: Yeah, he hasn't actually blown us away, has he? I mean, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to think of something that's going to... We're going to look back and think, yeah, that was when Sunak came to power and everything changed. Do you
1: uh, remember that, that line, that was the day Donald Trump became president? So we'll look and go, that was the day Rishi Sunak became prime yeah. minister.
0: I mean, I, I think it's sort of very... It's gradual dawning on the Conservative Party that it has monumentally screwed up the last... 12 years and I think that is only just beginning to dawn on it because it's been so preoccupied with survival, with implementing Brexit with sorting out its <coughs> spasms that it hasn't really had time to reflect on, the, on the, the sheer scale of the failure and I think it's now beginning to dawn on, yeah. on Tories and that's why you're seeing quite a few MPs exit before they have to go to the polls and be, and be kicked out. But you know, with Sunak this is a government that may have temporarily stopped doing stupid new things, as, as Johnson did and as Trust did, um, but it hasn't stopped having to implement the stupid old things, which it's already committed to. Um, and <laughs> that, that is That's an, still,
1: they've got that in the bank. Yeah, the and
0: that's an, that's an exhausting job, and it's still dealing with all the consequences of those things. And, but in their heart of hearts, they know they've made a colossal mistake. And unfortunately, the only ones who had who left in the party are the ones who went along with it. Apparently, there's
2: loads of stuff left on one of the .gov web, web pages about all the stuff that Liz Truss promised that they have not taken down yet. Mm. So, uh, you know, people at the weekend were saying to me, oh, where's my £200? I was meant to get that, and I know it's gone back down to 100 but the website still says 200 like, They haven't even begun to undo her spasms.
0: Oh, well, it's an exhausting job. I mean, you know, there's, there's not enough hours in the day to sort out what she left behind. <laughs> I can say that, I mean, I think maybe following Liz Truss, um,
1: following somebody that bad, is kind of... It's a great way for somebody mediocre to seem like better than they are.
2: Always follow failure. Yeah. It's the best career advice you'll ever get. Apologies to the... Fo- Who was your predecessor? <laughs> <laughs> they were great. They were great. <laughs>
1: um... Alex, if they do lose in 2024, um, will the Cluedo killer be quasi-quateng in in the Treasury with the tax cut? Was was that just like, in terms of the the sort of fatal economic credibility question? It didn't help, did it?
3: It didn't (laughs) help. That's good. A a bet-hedging answer. No, those 49 days didn't help. Um, the, The problem for them, I mean, they'd been doing badly long before that, by the way, the last time Conservatives were, were ahead on any voting intention poll was a year ago. On any poll.
1: Right, so like a little um, after Owen Paterson. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, um, and the lead for Labour has been in double digits since June. So it's been, it's been quite a steady decline with then a very big dip because of trust quieting. And the, the reason trust quieting... Help, uh, really hurt them is because it, it sort of ripped away that last fig leaf which was we might be nasty but we're quite good with money and once that fig leaf was off yeah. you know, like the mafia they can't keep saying well the economy may not be a shower but it's a grower
2: because we can
3: all see it's neither and, and I think that's what's also revitalised the Brexit um, debate actually because people can now see that, you know, it's hurt the economy and, and there's very few other excuses now around yeah. in comparison to other European countries um, that would explain why we're, you know, four to ten points behind any doppelganger analysis. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a tough one for them. I just wanted
1: to know, because now we've actually got people in the room. Has anybody in their workplace ever had a new boss that came in and then blew everything up and then was out within fifty days? I just want to see how common this is.
2: Seagull At least
3: one hand up. Wow. Two hands up. Yes, seagull management someone said, which is a very fun term. It's it's about a manager that flies in makes a lot of noise, shits on everyone, and then just flies out again. I thought it was the name of
1: a hedge fund. No, no. <laughs> oh, no. Right, OK, so there was one, was it just the one? Yeah, I think two. it
2: was
1: two. Wow, I mean, I obviously, I w- I'd wish we had
3: time for these stories,
1: because now I want to
3: know. Well, the vast majority of people have had a manager like that, only they stay. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: <laughs> <that's true. laughs> um, Ros, there was an incredible story in the FT, uh, looking inside the fall of truss. Um, and one of the things from people like uh, Mark Littlewood, Director General of the IEA,
0: was Ooh. that trussism
1: wasn't wrong. <laughs> it just hadn't been done properly, even though at the time they seemed to think that it was being done properly and were very excited. Um, can these people ever be, ever be wrong? Or are they just like, no, just, just do it again, but do it right?
0: Yeah, the, the metaphor he was using, wasn't it, was the pizza chef. And Liz Truss was a pizza chef oh, who yeah. was just um, just not up to making the, the right pizza with the ingredients that she had to hand. And, you know, the recipe is right with a pizza, it just needs a better chef. So yeah, we, we, we await that person. But yeah, no, it's particularly interesting with Littlewood actually, because um, I think it's especially hard for Littlewood to admit he's wrong, because Littlewood has already had a bit of a conversion in the course of his career. In his early career, he was all about civil liberties. He was, I think, uh, might be policy director, he was something in liberty. He was also behi- uh, uh, behind a No2ID campaign uh, against ID cards. He was very, you know, civil libertarian and not, not particularly right-wing. In he was point. also director of comms for the Liberal Democrats under Charles Kennedy. Exactly. Well, so- didn't,
1: didn't, wasn't Dominic Raab at one point with liberty and Liz Truss, at one point, lived down. Are we? Are we yeah. looking? Are these danger signs, is
2: what well, I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get my coat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between Littlewood and Truss in the terms of the... I won't say intellectual journey, but the journey that they've, <laughs> they've made over the past 30 years has been quite startling. And, you know, that means that he's already changed. He's already changed the beliefs that he had in his 20s quite massively. And you can't just change those again. I mean, that just, you know, you lose all credibility if you've already turned sharply to the right. And then you say, oh, right, okay. I was wrong about that, as it turns out. Very few people can actually get away with that. Even Boris Johnson, I don't think, could get away with that. And certainly if Boris Johnson couldn't, then... God knows Mark Littlewood can't.
1: Has, has anyone here abandoned all their beliefs in their 30s <laughs> and embraced a, a toxic economic project? <laughs>
2: no, that's good. I think we do need to give an honourable mention to Ahir Shah, one of our fellow um, podcasters, because when we were chatting about the pizza issue on our WhatsApp group, he said, what did he say? He said something like, oh... oh they, made,
3: they, but they toppled they like dominoes.
1: Yeah, they made it, the economy. Yeah,
2: <laughs> they made the economy topple like dominoes. <laughs>
1: Um, so, Ros, is Singapore on Thames' hyper neoliberalism dead for now? If not, in Mark Littlewood's excitable brain?
0: No, I mean they are like the Jesuits. They always come back in another form. Yeah. No, sorry, apologies to any Jesuits out there. I have a good, uh, I, I do have a good friend. Big walk who's, out. <laughs> I do. I do have a good friend who almost became a Jesuit monk, but he didn't, thank God. But you know, anyway. So, <laughs> um, but um, no, it isn't dead, and. I'm surprised by how people think that Sunak is more left-wing than he actually is. I mean, we should, we should remember that in two years' time, he and Jeremy Hunt, should they still be in power, are planning to implement a ton of tax cuts once they've won the next election. You know, tax cuts, tax cuts. On. Now you sound see, like this, trust. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking around this country and, you know, thinking about the state it's in and whether this country can actually take more tax cuts is is very hard to imagine. And yet, that is very much their agenda. They have not rode back from that. And when people say, oh, you know, Truss was here in Singapore on Thames, these, these two, Hunt and Sunak, are also in that place. That's where they come from. That's what they believe in. They are doing what it is necessary to do right now, to have a hope of staying in power and trying to keep the country the country's lid on, if you like, when, you know, <laughs> it's, it's about to burst off. But, but it's only pragmatics that is taking in that direction. It's yeah. nothing else. Yeah. Alex, Nigel Farage is
1: wanging on about his 17th comeback. Um, do, you think, do you think there's anything in that? Obviously, if, if there is anyone splitting the vote on the right, that's very bad news um, for the <laughs> Tories. So we would, we would cheer him on, presumably. Um, but, or is he just going to be busy? I don't know what he does. He still i still selling I don't gold? See it.
3: You know, I don't see it. Mm. Um, I think there are several reasons. I think, first of all, it's actually quite a crowded space now with people jostling, and I don't know that they'd let him back in. And he'd had... Without the Brexit thing, he'd have difficulty raising money. So that's just a practical They've got the
2: immigration difficulty. Thing. It's the immigration yeah. thing. And um, just wait for Hunt to announce a whole new ream of... The second second
3: reason is, he, Brexit has shot his goose in a really peculiar way because there's no more European elections. That's the vehicle he always used, that proportional representation to show, look, I've got muscle, you need to do what I'm saying. He now doesn't have that. He, you know, he has nothing to which he can just push a national list of candidates. And a little bit of budget and a little bit of media coverage. Where are his local candidates? He's just a, like a YouTuber, basically, now. Isn't I it? mean, it's, I, he just doesn't have that big vehicle, which was the European election for him, which I think is really quite ironic, actually. And the third thing, I think he looks knackered.
1: Yeah, but that's, ju- that's just his face. There's that's n- not no, fair. No, <laughs> no,
3: no. It, it's more than that. He looks to me like he's kind of. You know, he's one of those crazy old geezers that just does the same routine they've done before out of habit rather than yeah. with any real purpose. Well, I don't see it. Boris Johnson blew his comeback chances
1: after Trust resigned in very... I don't know what that was. Was that like two, three days or something? That so? I was on holiday and it, just, it was like over by the time I got, I got back. Do you think he has the appetite for more? Or, given how vulnerable his Uxbridge and South Rice lip seat is, that he'd be looking at, you know, just getting out? Because he loves like... Basically, does he like
3: money more or power more? I think this is a really easy one to sort out. So Boris Johnson has promised that he's run again. So on that basis, we <laughs> can exclude <coughs> that happening.
1: Fair enough. Um, on, past, just on past form. Now, lots of Tory MPs are exploring new opportunities outside Westminster. Are are there any you'll especially
3: miss, or any that you will be merrily driving to the job centre? You know, I'm very interested in the continuing degradation of Matt Hancock. (laughs) I I think in ten years, he'll become a sort of political Gemma Collins, just cutting ribbons at New Iceland opening or... I, I do I, not take seriously
1: his plan to, as he said in his letter, uh, to bring politics to the people and be part of the revitalization of modern conservatism outside Westminster.
3: Yes, I think he will do that by doing Panto by 2025. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm interested in. I'm glad to see Crispin Blunt go. He's a pompous ass. LAUGHTER um, I guess if there was someone that I feel vaguely sorry to see go, William Wragg, maybe, he'd become quite a thorn on their side, especially in his work with the Standards Commission, which, by the way, still has to report on Johnson. I know we've all forgotten about that. It was reported in April. They asked for evidence in June, and they just got it. The government just handed over the the evidence that the committee
2: had asked for in June. And and some of the witnesses are now too busy until the new year.
3: Yeah, and they'll start hearing oral evidence and then maybe... So, who knows whether that uh, will happen. But William Rag certainly having announced he's not going to stand again, hmm, that might be quite interesting. I thought the one that
1: intrigued me was... Actually, I've never heard her name, first name, said out loud. Deanna. Diana. There we go. <laughs> you know the one, Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. Being so young, and so it was almost like when someone's deprogrammed from a cult, early enough. And you thought, I think when somebody that young, you know, rising star, as as they always mm. have called, um, decides, actually, no, maybe she's going to be a Lib Dem and join Liberty,
3: <laughs> or maybe, she maybe she's around, going back the other way, or maybe she looked around and she thought. Fuck this. <laughs> which is, it's fair enough. Um,
1: Naomi, what could they still do in the next two years as a sort of farewell tour of fuckery? Like...
2: OK. <laughs> the biggie. Retained EU law bill, repealing thousands of pieces of legislation which they haven't got the time to do, and they've got sunset clauses on them, so they'll just lapse. So that is a major potential erosion of our rights, our protections, our freedoms. Um, Greg Hans is very keen on the fact that we're going to negotiate membership of CPTPP, um, Comprehensive Progressive Transatlantic Pacific Partnership, um, which Good. was a you know Asia <laughs> PAC thing, gonna but now <laughs> they're going to let a few others in. Um, we've applied. Um, and that will be all around having to lower our food standards it's got you know, issues for intellectual property as well um, sleaze, I think they'll do a bit more of that. Um grab Is that as, still up on the website? grab as much sleaze. cash as we can we, 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 know we're, we know we're off so we may as well grab as, as much cash as we can sleaze on the way out. Fridays um, <laughs> Uh, stuffing the House of Lords evermore we 've still not had the full dissolution on his list for Johnson and truss, who was of course eligible. Um, uh, and yeah, praise be if, uh, if we do ditch that one. Uh, sorry, Ian. Um, and Northern Ireland Protocol bill, gone but not forgotten, could right. yet come back on the horizon, so plenty basically.
1: Uh, do any of us think they'll go to the voters before 2024? There's this theory that, that if they're going down I do. Well, just because they've, like, had enough or they want to sort of reduce the damage
3: or... Because... Humility. (laughs) It ain't going to be humility. But the timing of the election is literally the one massive advantage that the incumbent prime minister has. If you let it go all the way to the end, you basically lose that advantage. Um, And that would be a very, very silly thing to do. So...
2: They went my, all the way to the end
3: in ninety yeah, two feeling in my waters is inflation will head downwards a little bit if there is some sort of settlement in Ukraine in s- next spring, mm. which I think is also quite likely. I think soon I could go to the country in the summer with a pitch along the lines. I'm beginning to turn things around. Don't jeopardise it now by getting people in who are an unknown quantity. I think and I, I think, think that will be quite I think you might be right. Bridge, the reason why the I don't think it'll work is that what
1: really sticks with me, and I know a lot of people are, are concerned that it's going to be, soon that will be Major 92, where he just sort of bores his way to victory. But to me, it feels more like 97, when the economy was on the up, that, that it was not, that the, Tories, the government was not at its lowest ebb. And yet it was dead.
3: Because, um, yeah, because the voters had basically already made up their yeah. mind. And once they make up their mind and begin to see you like a squatter in number 10, yeah. then every day longer you stay there, you just irritate them that little bit more. That's the Tories. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, before we look at the year in Keir, uh, it's Christmas, so we're going to have a, a party game. Um, <laughs> What's, so it it, What's it called? What's it called? Well, it could be your last chance before Keir Starmer abolishes the House of Lords. Um, so we're going to play uh, Peer and Loathing, where our panel will get the name of, a, of a, one of the people who lights up the House of Lords attached to their forehead in the form of a post it note, and then have to guess who they are using only questions to which the answer is yes or
3: no. Okay, that'll test our knowledge of peers.
2: Are the audience going to know? Can you all see? Can you all see? Oh. Okay, okay. Begin okay. the questions. Am I a man? No. So I'm a baroness. Um, am I a conservative baroness? Uh, big big no. C, big C. Uh, this is difficult. Am I a small c?
3: Yes. You're a small c something. <laughs> I didn't say that. Cut that out from the edit.
2: And I'm... OK, so small c, so I'm not... So I could be a Labour peer. Do I sit as an independent?
3: Yes, yes I yes. think you do.
2: Have I been on Politics Live with this person in the last month? Oh, God, so many times. <laughs> Am I Northern Irish? No, although there is a connection. Am I Claire Fox? You are. <laughs>
1: So she has, she, she has in the past a certain enthusiasm for the politics of Northern Ireland. Okay. Um, Alex.
2: <laughs> very good, very good, very good. <laughs> Okay.
3: <laughs> right. Alex. Yes. Begin right, with. okay, am I, am I, did I come into the Lords from a political position? No. Oh, am I a man or a woman? No, you can't
2: ask that. It's yes or no? Yes. yes or no. Okay, I mean, right. Yes, you are both. You ones. are, a man. You, you <laughs> are dead.
3: Who was that? Am I a man? Yes. Okay. Did I, uh, um, did I come in from a business-type environment? Kind of. OK, OK. So, that doesn't help, sort of.
0: It's a, it's a dirty business, but it's a business. It's a business.
3: Oh! <laughs> I show business, is it? No, it can't. Um, am I of yangnay Dirty business. I just thought dirty money. Oh, I hoped we were going to get t- to
1: beards and. Uh, well, that was that was short but short sweet.
2: <laughs> Want
1: to give me another one? Um, I've actually got a backup here. Never never leave the house without one. So we're going to before the break. We're going to do a little bit on the Labour Party. Uh, being boring doesn't seem to have done Keir Starmer any harm in the polls, as we discussed. Labour is looking increasingly confident as a future government, but at what cost? Uh, Roz, naysayers um, will say that this turnaround is all to do with Tory failure rather than uh, Starmer's own efforts. What do you think?
0: Uh, that's rubbish, I think. I, 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 yes, I mean, uh, there are plenty of people who have a vested interest in saying that, uh, and they do say it very loudly. I think what Starmer has done is to, and it is remarkable given that he hasn't been leader for, certainly he hasn't been leader in normal times for any time at all, but he's only been leader for what, you know, just over two and a half years. And a lot of that time was spent in COVID. And obviously in COVID, he was limited into what he could do, what he chose to do as opposition leader. So he hasn't had much chance to show who he is. But what he has actually done is managed to prevent the Labour Party from splitting, which it has come very close to doing at various points in the last few years, mm. and yet pretty mu- completely marginalised the left of the party and the, uh, the unelectable left, as I would see it, and many people would disagree, but he has effectively put those people aside. And what he has change the party from. It's something that people, yeah, might quite, I think a lot of people wanted to vote Labour in 2019, three years ago today, but they actually felt, no, I can't because of Jeremy Corbyn. He's the one who's stopping me. I don't mind their policies, I, you know, there's a, but, but that's what's stopping me. And what he's done is made them electable again. And in the circumstances, that is, that is still a big win.
1: Because well, well, Tony Blair, remember him, Yes. Um, after the Hartlepool defeat said, um, the Labour Party won't revive simply by a change of leader, it needs total deconstruction and reconstruction, which he does love that. Um, but do you think that in a more subtle way, therefore the party has been reconstructed? Like, I mean, is, is, it sim- is, it, is it cosmetic or... I mean, Tony Blair isn't here, so we can't ask him what he thinks. No, gets, I mean but...
0: the party was not gutted by Corbyn in, in, of its, you know, of its more centrist tendencies in the same way that Boris Johnson basically <laughs> gutted the Conservative Party of anybody reasonable. So it was an easier job; it didn't require, in my, you know, and I hear I'm disagreeing with Tony Blair, um, didn't require that kind of evisceration in order to turn it around. But what he's managed to do is, he's, he's. And, you know, power bequeaths power. And when, once you have a feeling that this party could succeed, that gives people a reason yeah. to coalesce around it and to stop making trouble. And that's why the Conservatives, of course, are still in trouble now, because you've got people like Priti Patel popping up with, you know, some new mini think tank she's involved with, uh, complaining that Rishi Sunak isn't going to win the next election. Um, you know, go figure. Anyway, but the, the, the sh- he's, um, he's basically... He's not explained what he was doing fully at any point. He's not apologised. He's just d- done it. You know, don't apo- never apologise, never explain. Just go through, remove your enemies, systematically, once they make an error, make sure they're not threatening you anymore. And that is what he has done.
1: Um, Naomi, it's, it's often said that there's basically two parts of the job. One is make Labour electable again. And again, I'm, I haven't gone back and listened to the December 2019 show because I'm, I'm not a masochist. Um, I don't know what predictions we were making, but I definitely remember the consensus was that 2024 was probably out of reach. And if you work really, really hard, there could be 2029, 20, but oh, but then there's Scotland. Like, it was very, very kind of bleak. Uh, and there was, there was definitely a sense, I think, in a lot of the punditry that there was just no hope for the, you know, for the next few years. Now there is. So you obviously... Job done on that side. The next part of it is actually showing what Labour would do. Um, Now, on Brexit, I hate to bring it up, um, his insistence there's no case to rejoin the EU does not delight all of us. How seriously should we take this as an indicator of what he would actually do? Or is it exactly what it seems, which is burying it as an election issue, don't talk about it because everybody gets upset, and, and actually, we shouldn't read anything into it.
2: Well, if that's the case, it's fundamentally dishonest, and we've got a big, you know, problem on our hands because. But it's not. Disson- we don't. We don't well, need to erode public confidence. But it's not dishonest if he always says
1: now. He goes, "There's no case right now." Do you yes, know what I mean? He phrases it in a way no, that it's no, not.
2: No. It really? <laughs> what? Never, ever, ever, ever. I mean, read. I think one one of the things was. There, there is no... Uh, rejoining the single market wouldn't boost economic growth was one of the more stupid things that came out of his mouth in the last couple of weeks. I think he thinks that the progressives are in the bag, um, that we hate the Tories so much that it will just be a, a pure get-the-Tories-out election, and and he may well be right on that front. Um, I think you've got to be careful. I mean, look, any... Party has to build a, co- a coalition of voters under a first-past-post system in order to get the keys to number 10. Um, and I get the politics that, you know, 100 of the 120 seats they need to target and win um, in order to get the keys to number 10 predominantly voted leave. So I do understand some of that, but I think it's a risky strategy because if there is nothing but the most measly of crumbs thrown at Remainers and you know more progressive voters on the electoral reform front, for instance, they could just stay home. Can I
1: just stop you? No, can I just stop you there and just ask, um, not to let you guys do the whole show, but um, is there anybody who, and I'm saying you're a swing seat here, obviously in a safe seat, you can do whatever you like, really, um, but in a swing seat, is there anybody here who would, who is, who is broadly, you know, like anti-Tory? I mean, probably yes, um, <laughs> but. Um, but, but is thinking of not voting Labour specifically because of the things that he's saying about Brexit. It's
2: a couple of hands. You see,
1: you see so does that not, does that not make the strategy... Because that was, cause that was right, pure look, science, what we saw there.
2: So, um,
1: so Does that so, not justify the strategy that actually the progressives are, in a sense, in the bag?
2: I'm sure that when the Labour Party inherits... The very very dire economy that it will inherit, that there will be some sense around renegotiating our deal with Europe, um, that there will you know have to be a reset certainly on the trading side of the relationship, if not you know more broadly with other things. Um, but I, look, it is going to depend on a seat by seat basis. It's going to depend on what the other progressive parties do, and I think. You know, they're, they're still, as things stand at the moment, on track to win a majority. I don't think it's going to be a landslide as things stand at the moment. Um, I think that that would have been the case if we'd gone to the polls in the end of the summer or early autumn. So, yes, but I think I think things are changing and I'm sensing far, far more frustration with traditional green and liberal democrat voters and soft labour voters who live in seats where there's sort of no point in voting for those parties who have always voted tactically who are now beginning to say with this we cannot put up for much longer this is not okay you'd be better off saying nothing than saying what you're saying so I think they'll be fine I don't know that it totally vindicates the strategy the entire way up to an election I think he's got to give us something a little bit more because it is too high risk because a lot of those voters could just stay home and then they're in trouble remember 2019 was not the you know the the low ebb the entire remain movement through everything including the kitchen sink at tactical voting so it's a big mistake for them to you know and we're going to have boundary changes that favor the conservatives um you know scotland the don't knows that i talked about earlier when we redistribute those tory don't knows uh, sorry, they don't, most of them in England go to the Tories. Most of them in Scotland go to SNP. So they don't, don't go to Labour. So the, I just think he needs to offer a bit more than he is at the um, moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Alex, one of his, his tricks is saying that, you know, his, things have changed, so his policy has changed. I mean, this was the kind of when people go, well, you really opposed Brexit, and now you don't. And he was going, well, mm. then Brexit happened, and people talk about the, the leadership pledges, and uh, you know, in a somewhat slippery manner, he does just go, well, that was then, and, but then COVID happened. Like, he's, it's always just like... There's always an excuse. Do you think that inheriting a kind of Brexit-poisoned economy would be enough of an excuse for him to go, well, at the time, you know, December 2022... No, of course, I was of course saying not. This. Of course not. You don't?
3: No, no. Um, because, as Naomi said, there's a fundamentally honest position about it and one that's not. And as Alex, I agree, I agree completely with everything that Naomi said and would love to hear him say exactly those things. But if I were advising Starmer on electoral policy, would I tell him to tell those things? I wouldn't. It's, it would just revive it as an issue and it would be very, very damaging and futile, if I, if I may say, because as it falls to me as the non-European, non-British person on the panel to say again that having a closer relationship with the EU is not up to the UK right, right. now. The EU doesn't trust us. They wouldn't touch us with a barge pole unless they were convinced that the political yeah. situation here was stable. Let me finish. And what that would take is both parties agreeing because what the EU wouldn't want to do is say, sure, come back into the single market and then the Conservatives use it as an election issue to get back in, take us out of the single market and then Labour get back in, put us back in the single market. So, you know, Kirsten,
2: I'm a back PR. That's the answer that, to that question. That I, Back listen, PR, knock those Brexity fuckers are, out for a generation, as you know, and then you know you're dealing with grown-ups that are gonna continue to hold uh, the line on as a As you know, you're, you're
3: preaching to the choir, but as things stand right now, you know, I, I don't, Brexit, for whether you agree with it or not, was a it, reaction. We it was a sort of, <laughs> yes. I think we can take that as a given, but it it was a sort of conspiracy theory, wasn't it? It was a sort of there are people over there that are ruling you and they're not letting, they're keeping you chained, they're not letting you be who you want to be. That was the premise of it, that there was some dark elite at the top that was imposing its will on the people. And so the thrust for getting back into the institutions of Europe will be slow and it has to come from the bottom up. It cannot yeah. be promised by a politician because that would confirm the conspiracy. All the people that still believe in Brexit would go, knew it, they're taking us back in, aren't they?
1: And also, I suppose the thing is the th- sort of things that ate away at, I mean, if you set aside the xenof- just pure xenophobia, racism, uh, and so on. Which is quite
3: a big it's quite a thing <laughs> to set aside. Like a, I just crushed a, these poor people. A big here. Chunk. Like,
1: No, but when they talk more seriously about the kind of things that um, you know that led to to the Leave vote, you know, when you when you hear the kind of you know, that many people yeah, yeah. in Labour Party will talk about um, you know, refreshing local democracy, giving people more power over their own destiny. And it seems to me like that you've got to sort of address that rather than concentrate on the going back in, like you said, from the. From yeah. the sort of top what, down. Like giving
2: them a vote that counts, yeah, and and people
3: are getting it. You, you know, can't we're, divorce we're it, seeing well, the perc- can't. we're seeing the percentages move recently in quite a big way. It's just you have to be smart politically, those percentages will have to get big and they will have yeah. to get stable over time for anyone to venture into that territory, especially considering that, you know, all right, Keir Starmer is not Barack Obama, but he's, he's all we've got at the moment, you know. That's a good slogan, this, isn't it, for 2024?
2: I'm your but, best you know, bet. We need he's to all get these got.
3: shysters out of government. And so that has to be the, the, the only consideration at the moment. Ros,
1: I do want to talk about what an aspect of Starmer's Labour that people maybe should be talking about, but, but maybe aren't. Because I think, I don't know, I've certainly got a little bit tired of the kind of, well, you never, there's no policies. And, just, and I, you know, we keep, I keep seeing some. Um, and I keep seeing some very interesting people, I think, uh, on the front bench, some interesting sort of thinkers. So what is, the, what is the thing that maybe, when your uh, angry uh, Corbyn morning friend says there's nothing there, what would you say was there? Pick one.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult one to answer, as you say, because Starmer's whole shtick is to hold back until he needs to put policies forward at the next election and not to be attacked on them before that. But I think if anyone... Is there anyone out here who's actually read Gordon Brown's whole report? Apart from me. That's what, you, that's what like, we get paid for. Yeah, that's what we get paid for. Yeah.
3: I ain't get paid for that shit.
0: <laughs> Alex, you disappoint me. You disappoint me. Because I read you know the
3: executive summary.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what they all do. But it's for you know.
3: executives.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On his business class flights around the world. It's a very, very ambitious document. It's really good. There's a lot of great stuff in there. I know it's not policy yet, so we can't talk about it as if it's policy. Um, and, you know, a lot of it will probably get thrown out. But there's a lot of great stuff. You know, no more second jobs for MPs, for example, unless they're doctors and need to give up their professional qualification or something. That's a massive thing. No more doing these deals and uh, raking in cash and not doing the job, the massive job that you are paid to do as an MP. It's a huge thing. And there are things in there that I disagree with, like, you know... He's come up with the idea that we ought to enshrine social rights in legislation, and I could go on about this for a long time, and I won't, but I think the story of the last 10, 15 years has been the failure, unfortunately, of rights as a, as a, as a discourse, as an idea that, in, that helps, infuses, animates ordinary people. So I think, sadly, that is not, not one. I'm right, happy to debate any, you with that any time, uh, for those people who are hissing. But... Um, uh, it's um, there's some great stuff there and the whole idea of getting rid of the lords is radical. You know, you might have heard Lord Maddelson getting really annoyed about it. Yeah. And <laughs> And I'm not surprised because the, the Lord suits the people in it extremely well. It's a guaranteed stipend every time you turn up. It's a lovely club in central London where you can hang out with similar-minded people. Uh, it's free parking. It's a lovely status. You get a it's fat- m- My dad,
2: God rest his soul, who died last year, was up here. And he said, darling, it's the best daycare centre for the elderly in London.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And getting rid of it in its current form is a fanta- would be a fantastic yeah. thing because it speaks of so much that is wrong with Britain right now and so much that we put up with because it's always been claimed it can never be changed. And yet somehow we can push through a massive thing like Brexit and, you know, that's possible. But getting rid of the Lords isn't, which I don't understand at all. I,
1: I feel like with the Lords and also taking away charitable status and private schools is that these yeah. are institutions that Will never act unless they're forced to. And yeah. it's always yeah. like, oh, give them another chance. And it's like, no. Get, let them do that, let them do that. And it's like, well, well you know, if, if decade after decade, mm. they, they, don't, they don't want to do it unless they're forced to, like maybe that's not a good situation. And the idea that we could actually change that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the laws as well, it's scary. massively London and Southeast. It's all about people in the London and Southeast. And probably a lot of us here tonight are that. But that's wrong that it Lovely, should be. Lovely that, like the country. That. Yeah. But it's wrong that it should be like that. You know, it should be people from all over the country. And it doesn't have any legitimacy. Frankly, anyone who accepts a peerage, your late father... Oh, uh, oh he, he was to abolish it. He's yeah. like,
2: I'm hanging around to vote for one thing. And that's I can't to, understand how
0: anyone could possibly accept a peerage at the moment, given the, the, what the institution has become. Yay! It's shameful. Just uh, as
2: a reminder, Ian Dunn is wholly in favour of a wholly appointed House of Lords. Don't
0: let him forget that. Lord Dunst of How to Be a Liberal. Has
1: anybody here been offered a peerage? (laughs) (laughs) No, nobody's got uh, a vested interest in this. Um, Alex, something about Labour that... uh,
3: Well, this uh, this, this isn't uh, particularly Starmer's Labour because it's been a longer process. So it's actually been also Corbyn and also Miliband before that. But I think Labour especially compared to other European countries, has managed to absorb, really, a lot of the green ethic um, without too much fuss. Mm. There's very little climate denial going on in the Labour Party. Every policy, it's accepted as a matter of course that it has to be targeted you know, pointing to a green... I mean, obviously, the, there's more stuff that could be in there. There, there. there are things that are contentious. And same, actually, with social equality and diversity and stuff like that. Their policies seem to me to be pointing the right way without anyone within the party going, but, you know, I don't agree. And, and I think that's quite a big thing because a lot of other European countries have big yeah. green movements and they've sort of taking away the oxygen from that, and I think that's a growing area.
1: Well, related, I'm just going to do a quick one. Mine, I suppose, are more people rather than policies, but because um, of, of, of interviewing on the, on the podcast, I, don't, I do, don't generally read books by politicians. Um, but I read Lisa Landy's recently and Ed Miliband's last year. You and you
3: love her.
1: She was very good. I, I, love I made her. a terrible blunder during the, uh, during the interview, and she was very, um, she was very nice about it. Which
3: was always, Tell us. I think
1: we cut it out. Tell us. Oh, I didn't know. I think it was cut out. And I just went, well, you were appointed when Michael Gove was to shadow Michael Gove, but, but he's gone now. And she went, no, no, he's, he's levelling up secretary again. And then made a joke about how can you possibly be expected oh, to right, keep right, up right. With, this, with this nonsense? Because I literally hadn't noticed. Uh, but yeah, I've, I like, I think with both her and Edmund, when people talk about the, the, the Labour left, you know, and the, the soft left and the Labour right and these very kind of like misleading kind of factional slices. I mean there are factions of course, but the people that interest me are often people where you can't quite, they really do have a very clear set of values and ideas mm-hmm. which don't necessarily fit, and I'm never quite sure where Nandi where, where fits in, and Miliband's been on, on a journey since the, the robot years. <laughs> and, um, and what I feel is really important for any government, is certain uh, government in waiting, is some kind of like intellectual substance some kind of idea about what's sort of wrong with the country and how you would change it. And that is obviously something that the, the Tories lack, unless you may be being very generous, you could say Gove. But, you know, the Tories generally lack. Um, and it was something that sometimes it seems that there may maybe other, sort of, some Labour front benches where you don't really know what they want except to be uh, ministers. But I think that is a really interesting sort of section of the party, and I think that there are other... It's not just those two, but there are people who are really driving big ideas, and some of them are getting through the, the Starmer caution filter.
2: And some of them are in government in Wales, doing it in one term, changing voting systems and doing some brilliant stuff, so big big shout out to Drakeford's uh, Labour Party in Wales. Um, on your point about talent, I would also give a shout out to um, Darren Jones, he's the MP for Bristol North West and he's hugely talented, he's on the back benches because he's not necessarily one to um, toe a party line because he's very values driven but he's brilliant as um, chair of the Bayes select committee and if you've not seen it go and watch his interrogation of uh, one of the UK Amazon bosses uh, who was hauled in front of the committee. And and Darren absolutely eviscerated him over the inhumane targets that their staff, um, uh, uh, productivity targets that they're meant to abide by. And one of them was one of his constituents in Bristol Northwest. And it was one of the most beautiful pieces of parliamentary uh, scrutiny that y- you will ever see of, of big business. And... Uh, uh, to make the point that there is an enormous amount of talent in Labour beyond the current front bench. Um, And and I think that signals hope for the future of the Labour Party.
1: Wonderful. Uh, As for the future of the show, uh, so we'll see you back in a bit where we do Main Characters of the
0: Year. A very Oh God What Now Christmas was presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith, Ross Taylor and Alex on the panel. Audio production and editing by Alex Rees and Robin Lieber. The producers are Kasia Tomasevich and Jack Gebertson. The lead producer is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is me, Andrew Harrison. Thanks to 21 Soho for hosting us. Oh God What Now is a Podmasters production.